Hi, everyone. It's Vanessa with a bonus episode of Run, Bambi, Run, an Apple original podcast produced by Campside Media. This episode is about women and policing. So American women tried to beat down the door and become cops for a long, long time in this country. But the closest they got for centuries was a few women here and there in the 1800s being allowed to basically help out. These were Quaker women who are allowed to volunteer at women's prisons. Then in the 1900s, male cops finally said, OK, we'll hire a couple of women. But I mean, like really a couple. Police departments would occasionally have women do work they saw as women's work. Female officers acted as decoys during prostitution arrests or put diapers on the kids of people who'd been arrested. I mean, the male cops weren't going to do that. Penny Harrington is one of the most significant, if not the most significant, female trailblazer in policing. Born in 1942, Penny did way more than women ever had in policing in this country. In fact, Penny rose through the ranks to become the first female police chief in the entire United States. And it all started when she was a teenager. When I was in high school, there weren't really many careers for women. You could be a teacher or you could be a secretary or you could get married and stay home and take care of children. I didn't want to do any of those. And one day they said that anybody that wanted could go down to the police department for the day and learn about what the police do. And I was the only girl that signed up. And it just so happened that they had a sworn woman police officer. And she spent the day with me. And when I left, that's all I wanted to do. So what did she say to you that made you want to do it? She said that I could do more to help people as a police officer than just about any other job you could think of. And that touched my heart because that's what I wanted to do was help people. But no women at that time were in uniform, out on patrol, couldn't do that. All you could do was be in a women's unit and work with women and children. And you had to have a college degree. And men had to have a GED. And for that, we got paid less money than they did. (laughs) Of course. Penny arrived at the Portland, Oregon Police Department in 1964. Ladies will wear hats and gloves and dress appropriately. That meant suits, high-heeled shoes, nothing that would identify you as a police officer. We did have guns, which we carried in our purses, which was not very handy. (laughs) Women didn't just look different. They had entirely different duties and opportunities than the men. Mainly, we would investigate dirty homes, allegations of abused children. As long as we were doing social work, we were okay. But if we tried to do police work, no, no, no. No, that wasn't allowed. The male cops thought Penny should do the softer assignments, the social work stuff, as she put it. She'd give talks to parents about kids smoking pot. And then they'd go, can you tell us what it smells like? So unbeknownst to the higher-ups, I took a joint off of a kid one day and just kept it. And then when I'd go out and give a speech, I'd light a marijuana cigarette. Wouldn't pass it around. Nobody could take a puff. (laughs) But at least they could smell 
So the duties of female officers were lighter than their male colleagues, and compensation was lighter too. We're not getting equal pay. We can't take promotions. We can't transfer. This is not right. And I said, we've got higher education than any of the men on this department. The department might have technically allowed women at this point, but they weren't getting much respect. Penny had an almost impossible time getting promoted. And it just wasn't fair. You might not even know that a position was open until it was filled. And of course, they wouldn't let women transfer because we were police women and they were patrol men. Still, Penny was the first female officer in Portland to become a detective. Then she was the first women sergeant and then lieutenant. Now, the way she got there, she had the benefit of civil rights legislation in the U.S. Congress. I'm going to quickly introduce you to an expert who will explain how that worked. His name is Vincent Blackwood. He was assistant general counsel of the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission for over 30 years on the front lines of a fight. There were lots of places where all the good jobs were restricted to white men. And Mm -hmm. finally, it was felt that this was a serious enough problem for Congress to pass a federal law that would prohibit it. That was the Civil Rights Act of 1964. And how did sex get into that law? Well, it was a very contentious process. In fact, the Senate had the longest filibuster in history, but I think it still holds that record. On the floor of the House, this Congressman Smith from Virginia, a Republican, got up and said, well, as long as we're doing this, let's go all the way, let's add sex. And he was an opponent of the statute, and it was widely viewed that he did this in hopes of sabotaging the statute. They would add sex, and then everybody would see how ridiculous that was. But it didn't work out that way. They added it, and the statute passed. And in the 70s, maybe starting in the 60s, one of their main focuses in those years was that they would go after police and fire departments and they would investigate them. And if they found one that appeared not to hire women or minorities, they would sue them. So lots of police departments in the 70s had, for the first time, hired women and minorities. So Vincent Blackwood says there were laws in place to protect women, but still, for Penny Harrington to rise through the ranks, she had to push back. In 1975, Penny joined an ACLU class action lawsuit against the government for the failure to enforce that civil rights legislation. She also hired an attorney to fight the Portland police's pay disparity. In this fight, she sort of operated as the prow of the ship, and other women who didn't want to speak out gathered behind her. They were afraid. A lot of them were afraid that they would get fired. And I said, we'll just have to agree that if any of us get fired, we'll pool our resources and help them through until we can get them rehired. We have to be united, but you don't have to go stand out front. I'll do it. And they were afraid, but they still agreed to do it. Penny was winning lawsuit after lawsuit. Department of Labor, it was a joke that there was a a gold filing cabinet with my name on it that had all these cases in it. (laughs) Why would it be gold? Because I won them all. As she rose to the rank of police chief, Penny also wanted to reshape how people in her department did their jobs. And now it wasn't all salad days for her. 
her ideas were not popular among officers. I'm talking about ideas like cutting back vice squads and increasing neighborhood patrols, controlling the use of force. In 1985, there was a particularly infamous incident of a Portland police officer killing a black man with a chokehold. It was part of a long history of police brutality against Portland's black community. And in response, Penny suspended the use of a kind of chokehold that's called a sleeper hold. This angered police officers. And actually, on the day of the man's funeral, two officers sold shirts reading, Don't choke him, smoke him. Penny fired those officers, and then the rank and file turned against her. And then things got even more complicated. False allegations were made that my husband, who was a cop, had tipped off a suspect in a drug ring. Was not true, but everybody that hated me jumped on that bandwagon. They never could prove that he did anything like that. He wouldn't do anything like that. And so the mayor asked me to step down and be an assistant chief. And I said, no, I won't do that. After only 17 months as chief, she was pushed out. And on her way out the door, the mayor of the city, Bud Clark, tried to cheer her up by saying, keep your tits up. Penny sued over this farewell message, and it was a case she wouldn't win. We spoke with Penny Harrington when she was 79 years old in the spring of 2021. A few months later, she passed away. We are so grateful to have heard her experiences firsthand. Next time on Run, Bambi, Run, we'll take a look at current strategies for police reform and the women who are leading the way. Run, Bambi, Run is an Apple original podcast produced by Campside Media. It's executive produced by Mark McAdam and me, Vanessa Gregoriadis. This episode was produced by Sam Leeds and Ashley Ann Craigbaum. Our researchers are Alex Yablon and Callie Hitchcock. Campside Media's executive producers are Josh Dean, Adam Hoff, Matt Scher, and myself. Thank you to our operations team, Doug Slaywin, Aaliyah Papes, and Allison Haney. If you are enjoying the show, please rate and review it on the Apple Podcast app. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>